Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. So celebrate yourself. Celebrate. So celebrate yourself. Don't feel so great. There's a real disconnect between all the youth sports travel clubs in the U.S. and what the American Academy of Pediatrics says about sports specialization. And, and I'm, I'm not to be cynical, but I think I know why. Okay. More and more kids are specializing in a single sport at a younger age. About 60 million kids between 6 and 18 participate in youth sports annually. Wow. And of those 27% participated in only one sport. Kids are specializing in one sport and playing year-round. And I even read somewhere that by age seven, seven, so what is that, um, second grade, some kids have already committed to a travel league. This is crazy. This is nuts. How does a kid who's seven years old even know what sport they want to play and what they don't like? They have barely been living long enough to, to try sports. So have you ever felt the pressure to put your kids in a travel, I what's, know your art. What, yeah, I know you're into artsy. the arts, but um, what's what's a travel league versus a like? My, you know, my kids do neighborhood boys and girls club. They do school stuff, but what's a travel league? So in my parts, uh, it's like you you do park district or you go into travel, which is um, usually more money, um, more specialized, more times a week. Um, you usually don't have a volunteer dad or mom coaching. You have somebody like in soccer for my daughter. Um, she does a travel soccer team. It's usually a paid employee, like somebody that is very has played soccer in college or is a professional coach, if if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you have tournaments and all that sort of thing, rather than hey, let's meet at the baseball diamond and play play a game, okay. like in in park district. So Sophie is on volleyball. Okay, but it's a very low key. It's uh, called the score system, which is part of CPS, but not the all in. Um, you know, three or four times a week. Uh-huh. Hannah plays soccer, and she does play pretty much three seasons. She play, She's been playing two seasons, uh, fall and spring, uh, with Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club. Uh huh. And she's about to start something called I nine. Do you know what I nine is? No, neither do I. <laughs> but it's. It's at the Chicago Fire pitch, so it's I think a little bit more. Oh, Chicago Fire, like the soccer, the Chicago team. Yes, but I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, but they are by no means specialists. Okay. Well, in 2016, the American Academy of Pediatrics released this recommendations um, based on research. Okay, mind you, demonstrating that physical, the physical, social, and emotional risks for children who specialize too young. So. If you specialize too young, there are risks involved. They have concluded this through the research and have suggested that postponing specialization until puberty de- 
decreases injury, um, burnout, stress, or whatever in kids. So I actually think, like, if the doctors are saying this and specialists and researchers saying this, I don't understand where the disconnect is because I feel like absolutely every family is ignoring what the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying. Well, yeah, and there was also a study out of uh, University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health that found that high school athletes who specialize in a single sport are 70% more likely to suffer an injury during their playing season. Sheesh. So that must, you can't argue with that. Right. So, again, if all the research is saying this, then why do we do it? Okay, so your family is more into the arts. My family is a mishmash of everything, but um, my kids play sports. They've played in the park district leagues for by season, basically. So my son loves to play whatever is that time of the year. In the summer, it's baseball. In the fall, it's soccer. In winter, it's basketball, like that. So he, he plays it all, and he just wants to be with his friends. Right. Okay? My daughter played soccer all through school until seventh grade, and then she, or sixth grade, and then she went into this travel league because what happens is a lot of kids leave the park district and go because there's less people playing and you're playing the same two teams. So every weekend I'd be like, oh, see you, see you next weekend. We're playing the same team over and over again. So people go to the travel because then you have more variety and more, you know, you're getting a coach rather than the mom that's on the sidelines helping these kids. Sure. Okay. But it's and expensive, granted, right? It's wicked expensive. Okay. So we, we bit, Doug and I bit the bullet and we decided to go ahead and do it. Do I think that she's going to the Olympics? No. Do I think she's going to get a full ride scholarship to go to college? No. <laughs> but don't listen, Kate. <laughs> You're good. Don't worry, but, honey. But I just, it's just puzzling to me that this continually happens. And I hear it when I'm going out with friends about, well, oh, should we join the travel baseball team? And especially in the wintertime, what's happening right now is she just came off of the fall league of soccer and the, the league is asking her to play futsal in the winter, like for the winter months to keep the player development going, even though we signed up for two seasons, the fall and the spring. And she's like, but mom, I want to do dance. Right. I want to do that. And and I'm like, okay, you should do dance. You don't have to play soccer, what is it, nine months out of the year? Right. I mean, she likes it, but not, not to the extent of playing it solely three days a week for nine months out of the year. Right. At the risk of not being able to do dance. Sure. So to talk about this, I thought we should call John O'Sullivan. You may have heard of him mm-hmm. or even follow him on social media. Mm-hmm. He's the author of the best-selling book, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes, and Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids, and also the book, Is It Wise to Specialize? How appropriate. Yep. John's work has been featured in the Huffington Post, CNN, Outside Magazine, ESPN, and numerous other uh, publications. John? I'm here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, John, why do you think the culture of youth sports has changed so much? Well, I've been listening to your your conversation there, and it's sadly a conversation that, that I hear all the time when we go and speak at different schools or sporting clubs or, you know, get via email. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we can put the finger on one thing and say this is why the culture has changed. Uh, there was a great book a couple of years ago, and, and um, 
by a woman named Julia Lithcott Haynes, and she puts the date, I think, sometime in the mid-'80s when the word playdate entered the Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> right, And all, so all, all of a sudden, play became organized, and if we're going to organize it and schedule it, then we might as well pay someone to do it for us, right? And as there's more families where both parents are working, this has been the trend. And one of the beneficiaries of that has been the youth sports industry, which is now like a $15, $16 billion a year industry um, that's built up around it. And some of the programs are absolutely fantastic, and uh, some of the coaches are incredible. But sometimes, as you both have been talking about, there's no alignment between what's best for kids and the programs being offered. And all too often we choose, um, let's do what's best for the business other than what's best for the kids. Amen. So do you, would you agree with the American Academy of Pediatrics research and recommendations about the early sport specialization? Yeah, what are the risks? Yeah, well, it was interesting. Was, what was really funny it was when that paper came out and then they put my book as, um, as additional reading. It was really funny because my wife is a physician and a surgeon, and I'm like, ha-ha, look whose work got cited before <laughs> yours did. So. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, the more and more research that comes out talks about the importance of, certainly in this country, a multi-sport experience or, more generally, a multi-movement experience for children growing up. They should not just be moving in one sport, one movement pattern over and over and over from a very, very young age because it doesn't build the all-around athleticism needed to sustain once kids go through their growth spurt. Um, And what happens is those kids get injured, um, twice the rates of overuse injuries, um, far higher um, dropout and burnout rates as well, because the kids lose ownership of the experience. And so what that paper really tried to say is, look, as pediatricians, we have to give parents the courage to say no to these organizations, uh, as in your daughter's case, where she says, you know what, this winter I want to dance. And I think an organization that's really child-centered says, of course, go dance this winter. What an awesome thing, right? We'll see you in March, which is fine. Some say, well, we'll give your spot away if you do that. And, and my response to that is always, well, I, I guess they just made it very clear who they're in it for, and it's not your son or not your daughter. So I think you're talking about, I, I read on your blog about physical literacy. Is that what you were just talking about? Sure. So th- this is a term now kind of being used worldwide to describe the ability of a person to move comfortably in many different ways across many different surfaces. So this is throwing, catching, running, jumping, skipping, hopping, tracking balls through the air, all those sort of things. And what we say, you know, in schools, if you if you had a first grader who was struggling with reading, you would never just say, well, she's just not a reader, let's move on to something else. You'd say, no, that's an important life skill. Well, all the research tends to show that the ability to move is an incredibly important life skill because you know, adolescents who are physically active have one-tenth the obesity rate, um, more likely to go to college, they do better in school, less likely to do drugs, lower health care costs, and all these sort of things. And so getting this recommended 60 minutes a day of, of movement 
would save our country trillions of dollars a year in health care costs 20 years from now. But yet so many kids are dropping out and walking away from sports. And a lot of times it's because they're not being given a proper introduction to sport and, and taught how to move. I read that uh, USA Hockey, U.S. Lacrosse, and U.S. Youth Soccer have all come out with position statements encouraging multi-sport participation. That's and, cool. Yeah, which is super cool. But so if, the, if these national org- organizations are coming out like this, why is it not happening? Well, On the local unlike, level, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, on the local level. I mean, unlike most um, countries where they have a national sport, like a ministry of sport, um, in the U.S., most of our governing bodies are able to make recommendations, but they're not very good on the enforcement. So certainly, like U.S. soccer recently mandated across all its affiliates, so that would be AYSO and youth soccer and all these things, that they have to play small-sided you know, um, games up through until uh, 13 or 12 years old, um, which is a great move in the right direction because it makes it more kid-centric. Um, USA Hockey's done that, but certainly in your area, Chicago is a perfect example. Most of the hockey clubs have withdrawn from USA Hockey so that they can play full ice hockey at very, very young ages so they can charge more money and have bigger rosters in spite of all the evidence that says that it's far less likely to develop good hockey players and keep them in the game. And it's kind of, it's really sad. Yeah, I've got a bunch of friends who have kids who play hockey, and it is a commitment. And not, not only the time, money, 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 money and the, the equipment. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So those clubs are now just sort of saying, uh, we care about the business, not about the kids? I mean, pretty much. I think I think you can you can strip it down to that because the evidence is very very overwhelming. The statistical evidence and also the increase in participation and player retention in all the places around the U.S. where they have um, taken on this development model of cross ice hockey and a proper skill training and you know no body checking prior to twelve and things like that people are sticking with the game. And and so, uh, again, this always... I mean, you know, I guess people still smoke cigarettes and stuff. You know, we're, we're very good at ignoring what's good for us um, mm-hmm. because we're driven by our emotions far more often than we're driven by our analytical mind. Right. So 70% of... I read somewhere that 70% of kids drop out of organized sports by age 13. That's so sad. That's that's eighth grade. Why, why do you think that is? There's a number of reasons. You know, the statistic, you know, there's some of the statistics around that, you know, they come from the Sports Fitness Industry Association. So, you know, in that statistic, some of those kids might be quitting soccer, but they're just playing basketball, right? So there's a number of factors at that age. Number okay. one is a narrowing of sports. Hey, I can't do three sports anymore because I really want to play high school basketball. So I'm choosing that. Number two is just other interests, right? That school gets harder. We get jobs. We get boyfriends and girlfriends. We do theater. We do art. We do music. You know, so some other passion takes over again, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, a lot of kids are injured and done um, or they're just so burnt out because, you know, as you said, from age seven, every weekend has been spent at some travel baseball tournament or at private training or or, you know, whatever. And, And so 
you know, they've just done this basically full time for six, seven years. And they're like, you know what, I'm ready to move on to something else now. And this is what's, you know, parents get really freaked out because, wait, we've invested all this time and money to make you a star. And you're not, a, you know, and what do you mean you don't want to play? Right. right. And, and so this is what I encourage in my book is just this good communication, this multi-sport experience. Look at the evidence that says most elite athletes actually are later specializers, not early specializers, but around the world, the best athletes in the professional clubs um, are, are doing are, are getting multi-movement training. So uh, uh, a young soccer player at Ajax in Holland or Barcelona or Manchester United uh, is doing gymnastics. They're doing tumbling. They're doing martial arts. They're doing parkour. They're, they're doing things to become athletes, uh, and then they're layering the soccer skills over the top. In the U.S., we're very good at um, layering technical skills on poor foundations and then wondering why everyone gets hurt. Mm, interesting. We did an, uh, a podcast about sort of parents and sports and, you know, the uh, annoying dad on the sideline or whatever. Um, and the the guy we talked to mentioned that a lot of kids don't hit their stride until they're about 13, and which is interesting to me because my our, our daughters played soccer together and my daughter... Um, <laughs> Did not hit her stride. and That's um, just not her thing. No, not her thing. But she has gotten more court coordinated as she's gotten older. So what what does it do to the kid who starts early and feels like a failure? Well, it's a really funny thing as well where what we often identify as coordinated or exceptional is usually just older, right? So, you know... Uh, with a cutoff date of January 1st in hockey or soccer, a kid who's born, who's eight years old, who's born in January, February, March, has a far greater chance of being identified as a talented kid than someone who's born in November or December. And they're often, you know, they could be 15% older, right? So they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, they're more coordinated, they're more um, cognitively mature. Um, and so realistically, if you're trying to identify athletes for the long term, trying to do that before puberty in any sport outside of, say, gymnastics and figure skating makes very little sense. Um, Because until you see that adult body, that adult version, you know, you just don't know, right? And so what we should be doing is trying to keep as many kids in sport as possible for as long as possible, given the best coaching and the best environment possible, and then letting them grow. You know, a, a 12-year-old boy, if you, you know, you guys have 12-year-olds, I think you said, mm-hmm. um, you know, a 12-year-old boy could have a five-year developmental age swing, which means he could have the body of a 10-year-old or the body of a 15-year-old. You know, and you watch the Little League World Series and you say, you know, oh, look how good that kid is. And I'm like, he's got a mustache. Of course he's <laughs> better than all the other 12-year-olds, you know? <laughs> you know, and so and so, you know, we, we we identify the wrong things and label them as talented or exceptional ability when oftentimes it's just they won the calendar lottery. Hmm. You were just mentioning, though, um, the sports that require early specialization, like the gymnastics. What are those sports and, and why do they why do they exist? Well, in gymnastics, in dance in figure skating there's a certain amount of there there are certain motions and and flexibility 
that is required to develop before you hit your growth spurt. Um, and, you know, if it's not, it's very hard as when you're growing fast um, to keep that flexibility and that range of motion. So, I mean, if you may remember a couple years ago, and this is female gymnastics, but they, you know, they made a rule that you had to be 16 for the Olympics because uh-huh. realistically, if they didn't have that rule, what you'd probably see is a lot of 12 and 13 year olds. <clears throat> so uh, a female gymnast might might hit her athletic peak in her mid-teen years, whereas in team sports, athletes don't hit their peak to their you know mid to late 20s. And so th- there's just specific requirements there. And so yes, a high level female gymnast is doing a ton of training when she is very, very young. But if you've ever met a high-level female gymnast in her 20s, she probably also has a ton of injuries because of that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that gymnastics isn't good or that that wasn't a great experience for her. But if you just look at all the fallout that just happened with Michigan State and the abuse of coaching and this culture of silence, I think that is because we have a, a a whole sports system um, set up to promote the performance of little girls whose families are scared to speak out because they'll get kicked out of the system. Just like you feel pressure, you know, to sign up for futsal. Imagine what the 10th best 12 year old gymnast in the country feels like when they're thinking, man, we could make the Olympics. Let's just not say anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, You wrote about um, parents feeling the pressure to force their kids too young because colleges in sports like women's soccer and lacrosse are scouting at middle school. What? Yeah. So that'd be right now for our kids. That, that's right now. And boy, they're not scouting my kids. <laughs> um, but what has the NCAA said about that? How, you know, how are colleges really coming to look at 12 year olds? Well, they certainly, they certainly were. Um, and the NCAA just passed some new legislation, which I believe went into effect this past September, where now college coaches are not allowed any contact with kids. They can't send them a letter. They can't talk to them on the phone. They can't talk to them on campus prior to September 1st of their junior year. So the NCAA is trying, finally, finally trying to push back against this because I, you know, I know many college coaches across many sports, and none of them, none of them liked the fact that they were getting verbal commitments from high school freshmen. None of them liked that at all. You know, to, to try to project where this kid's going to be in five years when she's on campus makes no sense. But they're also said, but if I'm not doing it, someone else is. So they needed the NCAA to step in and say, no one's allowed to do that now. But, you know, people always find the loophole, right? So now they go through the club coach and they still have all the communication and everything back and forth. Um, and so hopefully the NCA will close that loophole as well, that, hey, if there's anything from a college coach that's transmitted either directly or indirectly to a, you know, athlete prior to September for junior year because the kids need a break, you know, because when, like you guys said, you're thinking, and I have a 12-year-old daughter, right? And it's like, she, she is so far from being a grown-up, right? She's yes. a December birthday, so she's the youngest, you know, the smallest, you know, the second smallest of 33 kids in her age group in the soccer club she plays in, you know, but yet, you know, both her mom and I were Division One college athletes. We just happen to be Irish, so we, we take our time to hit, you know, to grow. <laughs> 
what recommendations would you make to families in their youth sport decisions? Like if you if you could if you could have a few minutes with a family or families, what what would you want to what would you say to them as they make these decisions? Because again, as I've said before, you know we know what best practice is, we know all these things, and yet we still do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, again, because it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of misinformation and it's a lot of fear of, you know, getting left behind. And we live in this world, you know, I didn't even talk about before, right, where social media is so prevalent and you see what everyone else is. No no one posts the, you know, the picture of, hey, here's our team after losing again this weekend, (laughs) right? They just (laughs) post their trophies. And so you feel like everyone's winning and what's wrong with my DNA and all this sort of stuff. So there's this tremendous societal pressure to keep up. Um, but my biggest thing would be this. As a parent, you must be, you, you're not just the advocate for the current athlete. You're the advocate for the future human being. And and so know what that future human being needs, which means they need to be active. So I don't want them quitting sports. Number two, I want them to pursue the things that they're passionate about. Um, but I also have to understand that to do so in a healthy way. So they need multi-movement. Number three, don't sign them up for an abusive situation with abusive coaching, which so many people do because, oh, well, that guy gets all his players' scholarships. Um, But yeah, your kid could have self-esteem and confidence issues for the rest of his or her life because of that abusive coaching. So you have to be the advocate for the person and, and help them find a sport experience where these sports skills become life skills because that's where they need to use them for most of their lives for 50 years is not on the sporting field but in the boardroom and in the classroom and all these other places and so that's what you should always ask not just is this good for our kid in the next three months but is this good for our kid in the next 30 years is this something good and and that should be your guiding thing and and just making sure that the sports programs you're signing your kids up for and the experiences that they're getting from their adult role models and mentors are an extension of what you value at home and not the antithesis of it, which we sadly too often see. I have a random question for you, John. Um, if you Let's say you're not one of the uh, parents who did the three-year-old soccer um, and your eight-year-old wants to start playing. This kind of happened with my, my now 10-year-old. There was no place that we could put her because she was a newbie at eight and everyone was already playing at such high levels. It, it was demeaning. Now, we, we ended up with Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club because that became a fit. But what do you suggest for parents who like apparently missed the boat by letting their kids not play organized sports until they're eight? Yeah, and you, you hit an excellent point, which is really, really sad. Sad. And and this happens a lot. You know, you're standing in line to register your nine-year-old for baseball, and some mom will tell you, oh, you're just starting now? You're too late. Which, again, isn't based on anything except, hey, these nine-year-olds have been doing this for three years, but it doesn't mean that your kid can't catch up. So I think if you are starting late, you have to realize that, hey, we might be behind. We might have to play a little bit of catch-up um, it's what a great opportunity to go out in the yard and kick a ball with them and stuff if they're really engaged in it and, and, and getting them working on certain things. Um, but again, all the more reason of, hey, do lots of things because kids who are, who are coordinated and physically literate, 
they catch up very quickly at those ages when they can move uh, move well in all mediums and stuff. So, um, you know, eight is not too late to start, um, but it might be you, – you also can't necessarily jump straight on to the travel team, right? My daughter is – just decided this year in seventh grade to play volleyball. And so she played middle school volleyball in the fall and now wants to do sort of a, a local volleyball thing in the winter. And, you know, I think she's on the fourth team, you know, I, that's fine. Just go play volleyball. If you yeah. like to play, I want you to play. Right. I, I, I can't freak out that, Hey, these girls she's playing against, a lot of them started five years ago. So of course they're better. Right. And my daughter hasn't grown yet. And a lot of them will never get an inch taller. Um, and so again, just take the, you know, it's a marathon, right? You got to take the long view as, as, as parents and realize that if you started late, you might need to play some catch up. Um, but you know, there, there's lots of sports where you get to level up on your own, right? In martial arts and, um, swimming and things like that, that, um, it's okay. It's okay if you're not there now. What what you really want is someone who's active for life, uh, far more important. Yes. It's also a great lesson to have the kid go through that process and not be the best right away. I, yeah. you know, I know we, we value so much of this naturally talented, naturally gifted, you yeah. know, um, walk on and just boom, mic yeah. drop. But, but the hard work is the real lesson. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like swimming is such an interesting sport to me because you race against the age that you are on race day, which means that the day you turn 14, you're all of a sudden the youngest, but you also get to be the oldest 11 months from now in that race. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I see. Uh-huh. Um, whereas soccer, hockey, the the cutoff is January 1st. So you are always the youngest soccer player. You're always the youngest hockey player just because of where that arbitrary calendar cutoff date falls. But in swimming, you get to do that. There are some soccer clubs around the world who have changed it to like swimming where, hey, ages are based on how old you are at the time of this competition. Now, that's a lot of work, constantly changing teams. But if you're really in it for the kid, you work around that. Sure. One of my favorite things you said I was reading about you um, was that what you hear often, you hear my seven-year-old only plays soccer because that's all he wants to do. And I love your response of, well, my seven-year-old only wants to eat macaroni and cheese, but I don't allow that because I know it's not good for him. And you're the adult and you're supposed to know better. I think that (laughs) when I read that, I chuckled and I'm like, that's everything about that. I love everything about that statement. Well, thank you. I, I... It, I mean, but it's true, right? We, we we understand this in other aspects of what our kids do, right? And and certainly if, you know, their school just said, you know what, we've decided that your kid's only going to do math and we're going to forget literature and reading and social studies and all that, like, wait a sec, like, they need to learn those things, right? And so for a young, if you're a parent, it's awesome that your kid only loves soccer, and I'm not saying that you then say, well, we're going to limit that passion to two months a year. I'm not saying that you can't play a lot of soccer, but you've got to take time away from it. And there's nothing wrong with if a kid really loves it and you say, you know what, you know, it's basketball season or, hey, we ski or, hey, we mountain bike or whatever we do, right? In two months, they're still going to love it. And they're going to show up. I mean, the saddest thing to me is to see a bunch of 12-year-old zombies out there 
with no passion or love of sport because they're dragged from one sport to the other, to piano lessons, to the tutor, and they're just, they're, there's no ownership of anything. Those are the kids who walk away regardless of how talented they are because there's just no love of it anymore. That's exa- that happens, John. That happens so often. I see it happen. I, I've seen it on the soccer field. It's it's like parents that are signing up their kids because that's what they were, or that's what they think. You know, that's one thing I've always said, and I've said it to Anne that you have to embrace your kid for who they are, not who you want them to be. And if you played a sport in high school, that doesn't mean that your kid's going to want to play that sport or specialize in it. Especially because there's so many more choices now for today's parents than there were when we were growing up. There's more sports. There's more opportunities to play it. Certainly way more for girls. I'll be 47 this week. Certainly for female athletes who are my age, there's way more opportunities. Absolutely. So, you know, just your sport might not be a good fit for them. So let them find the the thing that, that is a good fit for them. I have two kids. My daughter's, my oldest, is very much like me. My son is nothing like me. <laughs> and so he does some of the things that I like. But in second grade, he said, I don't want to play, right? I, so here I am. I was a college soccer coach and a pro player. And, you know, my son in second grade is like, I don't want to play soccer anymore. And then we said, great, go, walk away. And then th- this year, on his own, he said, you know what? I want to play again. And he'd always played pickup with his friends, and he's always around it. And he's doing great, but he's there on his terms. If we had said, no way, you're not walking away, I mean, he'd be totally done right now. Yep, I agree. Instead, he's kind of just starting again, and he's a good athlete, and so he's catching up very, very quickly. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John, for your time today. Uh, Again, the author of the best-selling book, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy high-performing athletes, and giving youth sports back to our kids. Um, you're also, you have a, a passion project. You're changing the game project. Um, also, I found that on Facebook, and I, I follow that feed as well to see all the stuff that you write about there. So it's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, changingthegameproject.com, at CTG Project HQ on Twitter, Change the Game Project on Facebook. We also have a, a podcast called The Way of Champions. Awesome. Check it out. Yeah. We'll do. All we right. like podcasts. <laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, Super. John Thank O'Sullivan. you so much, John. Take care. Thanks, guys. So apparently, sports is just like everything else. You have to look at what your kid needs and what you think your kid wants, but you can't force them, right? Correct. And sports, you know, it's it's like a thing that we, we know the research is out there about specialization it's just if everyone could take a pause when you're making those decisions and you know what my daughter's gonna do dance in january and it's gonna be just fine and she and she'll she'll play soccer when the next season comes up but in the meantime she's gonna work her body in other ways and do dance which is great I yes mean, um, and it's something she really loves and it's not forcing her to do this was her initiative mm-hmm. and that's what she wants to do so i'm gonna support her in her decision and right. be okay with it and then let us know when we can come watch <laughs> <laughs> her recital. So we'd love to hear from you about how you balance sports in your house. Like, did you go the path of multiple sports or did you choose one sport? Or none. Um, <laughs> like me. Um, check out our Facebook page at Apparently. You can give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or email us at ApparentlyPodcast at gmail.com. 
This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look.